Whether we're talking about business, wellness, travel, or relationships, I've always thought age is just a number. Welcome to Ageless with me, Cynthia Raleigh, and my daughter, Kit Keenan. Hi, everyone. It's Kit here. I have missed you guys so much, and I'm just jumping in here to intro this episode. We are honored to have iconic American designer Norma Kamali on the podcast this week. Norma is 75 and has been in the fashion industry for over 50 years. In this episode, we cover Norma's career path, her pillars to health and wellness, and her approach to aging with power, as well as the launch of her new book, I Am Invincible. So we hope you guys love it as much as we do, and stay tuned for Norma's popcorn recipe, Unreal. We have so much to talk about. Your book, your pillars, your age with power. We're so, I'm so yeah. into it. I'm so excited. Yeah, let's just jump right in. Can you tell us first about your three pillars to normal life? The whole idea of a healthy lifestyle is based on three pillars and it's sleep, diet, and exercise. And if you have a pie of the three, sleep is 50% of the pie. Sleep is critically important for restoring and you have to restore same day. Like you can't miss sleep and then make it up on Saturday. Not going to work because you really are turning over cells every day. You're breaking down. Your immune system is getting broken down. So you need to really rebuild, restore, and nothing does it better than sleep. In fact, a very prominent doctor told me last week that the best results of the vaccine, the COVID vaccine from anywhere, is sleep. That if you have the vaccine and then you go to bed and you sleep as much as you can, you will get the best results. And I, at 75, made it to the front of the line, ladies. Um, Oh, jealous. The second vaccine from Moderna knocked me out. And I'm like, I'm like the Energizer bunny. And I thought, oh, I'm just, I have work to do. And I was meeting with contractors to fix a house. And, and all of a sudden I feel like, woo. And I slept for 18 hours. Wow. Oh my goodness. So sleep, it's an example of how important sleep is. And then diet and exercise, you know, everybody knows that exercise is critical. Having physical activity and being engaged every day in some physical activity is critically important. And also exercise where you try to get to the next level, to try something a little bit more challenging, also works on our ability to take on life's challenges. Maybe it's at work or maybe it's just challenges that have to do with life itself. When we know we can do it in exercise, it really gives us a subliminal confidence about doing it in other aspects of our lives. And then diet is simple. I mean, you have a budget for food. We all eat more than we need to eat. And if we ate less but better quality food, your diet then just falls right into place. I mean, everybody knows sugar sucks and you don't, you know, like everybody knows what's good and bad. That we are past that lesson, but eating better quality and less of it and finding different patterns. Maybe you like intermittent fasting or whatever it is, but sleep, diet, exercise doesn't have to cost you a penny more than what you're spending. And you can even save money if you do these things right. And, and you can start right away. You don't have to wait for a message from whatever guru you're hoping to get led to the, in the right direction. You can do it yourself today. Your book, it's like a Bible, like a game changer for me. I was reading stuff that 
like that your dental health is so much a part of your overall body health and things Mm -hmm. like there's so much in there that seems like revolutionary yet kind of common sense too that you're that just bringing it to light and going through those tips of course some things will be easier to achieve than others but I feel like it's very inspiring in that way that you're just like oh yeah well let me try to incorporate this yeah the idea of it is that it should be a handbook and for every part of your life so If I'm 75 and I've been in business 53 years, there's enough information that I've gathered that I can feel confident in the years of experience I have in being around women all of that time that I've seen enough of this and and there's enough information that I wish I would have had going through my 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. And I especially recommend the book for 20s. You know, when I turned 20, my mother said, happy birthday, Norma, but it's all downhill from here. And I <laughs> I started crying because I thought, I don't want to be old like she is. I don't want to go there. And you know what? Every other 20-year-old is thinking the same thing. I don't want to be old. It's been cool not being old. Why do I want to go down that path? This is so great. Well, you are, you have to go down the path. But if you know at 20 what's to come and you can read about it and you can think about, well, I'm I'm going to be depressed. I'm going to be out on a limb a, a, a lot of times. I'm going to date some jerks. I'm going to have uh, relationships that are not going to be what I expected. And sex is going to be really fucked up. And I'm going to be crazy. And other than that, the 20s are great. I think also what's interesting about that is that there is this sort of big sister culture on social media now that I followed a lot of girls that are in their late 20s or 30s. And I'm 21. I followed them through their 20s and like into this, into their 30s. And I'm seeing them struggle with all of the things that I will eventually meet. And I think there is a little bit of guidance there with like normal influencers or people that are very relatable or authentic online. Yeah. The more information you get, the better it is. And so a lot of the reason I did the book was I I want this conversation to, to be happening more so that there's more control over how you get through each of these decades where you you learn the lesson, you evolve, you get to the next decade, you need that experience, but that that we are more intelligent about it. I mean, it's about time that we we have we're more in control of how that experience unfolds through that decade. But every decade has has a profound story. And so 50 and on is just a completely different experience, but not no less dynamic in its experience, right? No less. And how you get through the 20s, how you get through 30, which is 30 and 50 are huge, right? So how you get through 30 kind of defines how you're going to deal with everything to 50. And then how you reinvent yourself at 50 defines how you'll get through for the rest of your life and hopefully not become invisible and be, you know, relevant and and active. So these transitions are really, really important. When I turned 50, a friend of mine said, he gave me the best advice. He said, you're at the top of the roller coaster and all you can do is put your arms up and scream. And (laughs) you kind of feel like that, you know, it's kind of like, okay, I'm just going to go for it now. You, you feel that. I guess that's your aging with power. So aging with power starts at 20, right? It starts it starts at birth because you're aging from the minute you, you're screaming your first scream. But at 20, you really start realizing that you are, you know, you are an adult now. And 
every experience through your 20s is the first time as an adult doing each of these things. And then by 50, you've done all the required things you were supposed to do and all the milestones up to 50, right? You you went to school, you graduated from school, you got a job, you married somebody, you got pregnant, you had two kids, you just did, did all these things. And then, boom, done. And now what? And now what? And so people get aged out of jobs because they become too expensive for the job or they get aged out of marriages, they get aged out. And aging out is not an old thing. When you turn 30, there are so many girls who turn 30 and and are expecting that at 30, they should already have met their soulmate and are deciding on their marriage. Well, that's a joke. That's like such a bad joke. So you were 65, right? Or how old were you when you... When I when met you, my soulmate? Well, much, yeah. much later. But I was married at 19 and divorced at 29. So, but if by at 30, if you feel like all of those things are not happening, then you think, oh, the world is passing me by. I'm going to be alone. I'm feeling lonely. And then there's a lot of tears and, you know, you cry on your pillow for a while. But once you get through that, there's another reality that you may be aged out of the dating market. Well, that can't be your reality. There's a whole other way to deal with that. And you don't, and and you don't have to go with what society is telling us. So at 50, you're not old. Aging is doesn't mean you're old and done. Aging is an evolution of experiences. At 75, do you think I would want to go through my 20s again? No, not at all. <laughs> or my 30s or my 40s. I, I did that. And so 50, how you get through 50 and how you reinvent yourself really is majorly important. And I'm still 25 years later living the reinvention that I created at 50. Do you think it's easier to age with confidence if you do follow that model of get a job, get married, have two kids, whatever, go to school? Or if it's easier to age with confidence if you actually don't follow that model at all and you're kind of outside of that? Well, you can't follow it because we all have a different timeline. So I met my soulmate at 65. So I was definitely not following the the milestone. So the horrible thing is that somebody a long time ago or some some sort of thing put in place this protocol that we have to go out uh, a follow that is so out of date and out of step with where we are today that if you do try to follow it, it's not going to work. It's just not going to work. And if you force it, you'll end up marrying the wrong person, regretting that you didn't fulfill a dream or do something. So you have to just work on yourself. Maybe I would have met my soulmate earlier if I would have worked on myself, on self-love and not thinking about everybody else first and feeling responsible because I had this business. And But maybe if I would have worked on me more, I would have attracted the right person to me. I attracted people, but mm-hmm. I wouldn't call them soulmates is what I want to say. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I feel that. Well, yeah. I mean, part of working on yourself, as you're talking about, is being so regimented and, you know, following all of your rituals and routines. I'm really interested if you could just take us through a day on your plate, a day in your diet. What does it look like? Well, first of all, it's good to have a routine and it's good to have something really healthy for you to follow. But not going to happen every day. And you're going to have to kind of recourse correct along the way. But having the intention is the most important thing. So for me, I love the food that I've learned to really enjoy, which is healthy food, most of it plant-based, a good part of it plant-based. I do intermittent fasting. And when I break the fast, I'm usually really hungry and I eat early. So 
when I eat early, I'm waiting for this whole calendar of hours to come around. And so I think about what I'm going to have ready and sort of accessible when I'm ready to eat. And it's, it could be at nine o'clock or 10 o'clock, could be at noon. If I, if I ate later, then it goes around again. But I usually have, uh, like, I could have an avocado for breakfast. I make this nutsy bread. I'm a breadaholic, so I have to, I have to find good substitutes. So I have a nutseed bread recipe that's in the book that is the most delicious bread. Uh, I make a couple of loaves on a Sunday and I slice them the long way and I put them in the freezer. And then as I want to slice, I take it out of the freezer and put it in the toaster. And it's pure health. And it also helps you go to the bathroom regularly. So you are oh my gosh, you can't done, done and done, right? Done and done. Yeah. It's yeah. so yeah. good. And it's like, oh my God, how wonderful. So you can even make it as a breakfast bread and put little bits of ginger and raisins in if you want, or you can put avocado. I mean, I love olive oil. So I, if I put olive oil, it's enough. And so I, I'll have that too, or um, with avocado. I love smoothies for when I wake up and I use a lot of nutritional powders that really are jam-packed with greens. And because I'm 75 and I'm also lactose intolerant and I don't go in the sun, my bones are really my sort of weak part. And I have to really make sure that I'm doing everything to support them. So having as much green as possible is super helpful. So by having that, those, those powders... I really get a lot of support and I put blueberries and avocado and lots of green in front. I put, you know, those boxes of greens that you see in the supermarket, I put them in the freezer so they're cold and they don't, they don't spoil. They stay fresh in the freezer. And so I just take out of that, put it in the, in the, the blender, put that whole Thing into the Nutribullet with all of the powders and everything else and some water. And I make it so thick that it's like a pudding. It's so delicious. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, I, and I have a big 16 ounce Nutribullet glass that I take with me and I have little bits throughout the day to, to follow that up with maybe some nuts during the day. My favorite snack for some reason right now, I'm just, I can't stop eating it, is frozen blueberries. So if you get organic blueberries, those big, big ones, and you put them in the freezer and I put them in a cup and I break up walnuts and I put a lot of walnuts and mix it up. It's so yummy. The combination of the walnuts and the blueberries and they're crunchy. But the, but the best thing about this this snack is it's great for breast health. Talk about something about aging with power. You want to age with these dark purpley colored fruits and vegetables. So blueberries are the best for that. But for breast health, you you really, you can have this and feel good versus a chocolate cake. Like you can have a piece of chocolate cake, halfway through it, you're saying, oh my God, I'm feeling bloated already. I'm going to, this is not good. And then you finish it and you say, I hate myself. When you have the blueberries and walnuts, you don't feel bloated at all. It's so delicious. And you say, oh, I, I did something good for myself. This is food as medicine. It's good for my breast. So it's having that mindset about food that takes time to kind of figure out. But I've created all of these fun desserts and snacks and things to eat that I can have in my house and not feel bad after I eat them. It's like if I go to a restaurant and there's some bread that like olive bread or something like that, that's when I have the next day I have to say, okay, 
going back on track now. <laughs> but, and it's not like I can have one piece. It's like, I have to have, excuse me, I'm taking the bread basket. And it's, <laughs> so, but, but for the most part, I make sweet potato ice cream that is heaven. What? So there's a lot of fun things that you can eat. And of course, salmon is great. A salad is great. There are some core things that are really delicious. And if you're creative at all, you can make them fun. Wait, I have a request from some of my girls at work. They want your popcorn recipe. It's super easy. So as a snack, I love movies and I have to have popcorn when I watch a movie. It's just from childhood. It's a childhood thing. And so I, of course, am a big olive oil person and I really do know the best olive orchards in the world. So I have access to and I'll be selling again these olive oils. And what I do is I just take a, a, a quart size pot. I put a quarter of an inch of olive oil in the pot. You let the pot heat up, but never to smoke, right? Never to get too hot. You then fill in the um, popcorn kernels. It, you, you can get, there's a lot of good organic popcorns, by the way. And you fill in the bottom of the pot. So the, the popcorn's totally covered by the olive oil. You put the lid on and the flame is up high. And in no time, it'll start popping and you shake it up a little bit. And then you put it in a bowl. And if you really love olive oil, like I do, you'll pour olive oil at the bottom of the bowl. Then you'll pour the popcorn in and you'll put more olive oil on top with a little (laughs) bit of sea salt. And it's really good. And then if you're decadent, you can take super dark chocolate and melt it and just pour it over. Every night. I literally eat this every single night. Kit, like two treat to unwind at the end of the day every popcorn, single night just popcorn and dark chocolate those little uh, it's like, chips it's like the adult version of going to the movies and getting like a big butter popcorn and pouring m&ms in but it's like the big girl version yeah. of it, no, if it's a if it's dark chocolate, it doesn't have, you know, milk, dairy. So that's good. And if you're going to have chocolate, dark chocolate is the way to go. It's, it's really good. It's a, it's a good quality food. It's not junk. And if you use olive oil versus butter or other oils, um, coconut oil too, but I'm not that fond of coconut oil on popcorn, but if you use olive oil, and then the, the chocolate just melts on the popcorn. It's just the best, I know. And I understand why you do it. There are some times when Marty and I are exhausted, like on a Friday night, where we usually eat early on Fridays. Like he'll, he'll eat wherever he is. I'll have, may I, like I had salmon today for lunch and I don't really need to eat anything else. I have my food and I'm good. But we would then say, what are we going to have for dinner? And it's popcorn. Like, we'll have popcorn and we'll we'll just sit around. And like, you know, after a heavy week, you just like, excuse me, I don't want to cook. I don't want to even go out to dinner. But we sit and eat popcorn and we talk about the week and what's going on. And we love it. And then I put so much olive oil on that by the time I'm finished, my hands are covered with olive oil. And so, you know, I do this and I put it all over myself and it's cool. I do it too. I I put it in my hair, put it on my face and and my, you know, my legs in the summer. I love it. But I, I have to tell you that from going to the olive orchards for as many years as I've gone, I learned about this liniment that the women in the olive orchard use and make. And so that liniment is now, I've sort of upped it a bit from it just being from the earth. And I've been using it since 2001. And so I have that liniment on my collection now, and it's made with 
It's a very old fashioned. It's made with olive oil and with the water that is used to rinse the olives. And so there's an acidity in the olive or in that water and there and the oil and the combination creates the softest skin that you cannot imagine. I take my mascara off with it. I moisturize my hands, my face. I never wash my face at all. I use that to clean my face. It's it's called Soft and it's on the collection. I'll send you guys it. You you have oh to try it. Oh my gosh. So exciting. But you put it every time you put socks on, you put it on. Magic. It's um, really, really great. I mean, you're living proof. You could say for me to like bathe in monkey brains and I would be like, okay, yeah. I'm, I'm in. But yeah. I'm in. Whatever, whatever, whatever she's, she's ordering, ordering, I want. I don't even know what to even say. You have been my idol since... I guess since I was in design school, you had just started. You're just, you know, you were a little bit ahead of me, but way, of course, way more accomplished. And you have had so many milestones from the sweats for sure. That was in like 80, I think. Before that, it was Farrah Fawcett's swimsuit on the poster. That was in the 70s. Yeah. So many milestones. I am just curious to kind of like hear more about the highs and the lows and what is exciting you right now and how you stay inspired for 53 years. Yeah. Years. <laughs> and the, the best thing about the 53 years is that I never had a partner. That was, uh, a decision I made really early on that I wanted a creative life. And I knew by making that decision, I would never be the richest designer in the world or the most famous, but that I could, that I could really do what I love, which is being creative. And so because of that, I think I was able to do things like the sleeping bag coat. I mean, if you work with people who have a mindset about how things should be and you tell them, I want to make coats out of sleeping bags, they'll find all the reasons why that will work, right? And especially when something's new, they the people don't want to take chances. And my forte is new and sort of more inventive than trend driven, right? So having partners to tell, to to talk to about that is like, I knew that would be not a good experience. So I was able to do things because of that, that a lot of designers probably didn't have the freedom to do, but it wasn't easy because that meant I had to pay the rent. It meant I had to be responsible for the success, but also uh, the failures and how to get out of the failures and learn from them. There were a lot of times where I thought, oh my God, I think I might be going out of business. This could be it. And then being resourceful and trying to figure out how not to. And then times where things looked really good, but you know better that this is not going to last forever. So you better have a backup plan. And and that's why, again, I say aging with power really is where it's at because you know, now I know, okay, there's a pandemic and I don't want to go out of business. What's my strategy? Well, I have a lot of years of mistakes to look at to say, I don't think I, I'm that may not work. Maybe that'll work now, but it didn't then. But I have history and experience to refer to about the decisions I make about how I'm going to go through the pandemic. And the biggest decision is when there's a pandemic or a distru- a big disruption like this, this is a time if you are unique and you have a unique story to tell, whether it's somebody who's been in business 53 years or was just deciding to go into fashion now. If you're unique, you have an interesting story and you have a way to tell that story that is unique. This is the best time. 
this is the best time for someone to get into the fashion industry, but not if you're going to copy what somebody else is doing, the way they do it, how they do it. But if it's unique, I think this is the time to do it. And this is my kind of time too. I like disruption because that's when you can try something different. It's people are ready when is disruption. And I've done a lot of things that I shouldn't have done because the time wasn't ready for for unique new things. And so I've learned that you can be too early with something if it's the wrong time. But this uh, this is a great time. So I'm sure there are people who follow you because of fashion. And I want to share with them, if you are unique and you have a unique message and a unique way to tell the story, I say do it with as much energy and focus as you possibly can right now. Does that sound familiar to you? Yeah, definitely. (laughs) I say the same thing. It's whatever it is. You just, if you have an idea, do it. Yeah. What's the worst that can happen? I'm wondering in that line, how you balance this idea of innovation and creativity with consumer demand. Like we live in a review culture now. I think like you guys are saying, the old model is changing. And I think it's really becoming more consumer central. So how do you balance trying things, seeing if it works, innovation, creativity with actual demand and surviving a pandemic as a business? Yeah. Well, I think people really wait to see what's going to happen next. I mean, some people have ideas and they make what's going to happen next and other people are looking to see what's next or what's going to be of interest, what's going to be stimulating, what's going to change how they feel. I think fashion has a great ability to change how you feel, make you happy. If you can make somebody happy now, you deserve an award, not the movie. You deserve an award if you make people laugh and happy. And if clothes can make people happy, that's such a bonus. And so... I think the consumer is waiting and and wanting, but the consumer could be all three of us and we may want three different things. So knowing the market that you're in and, and having a connection to that market is really important. And I think that if you're going to do something, it's really important to know who you're doing it for and where they're going to find it. Because knowing where they're going to find it means you have to think about the presentation at that po- at that point of sale, wherever that is. And then knowing who that person is and what they're doing. I mean, are they in their 20s? Are they going through all of these things? Or are they in their 50s going through those things? Or are they moms that are in their 30s and 40s having raising children and having a career and having another set of needs and and wants. So knowing that the the demographic is really key. Just listening to you, I'm hearing, I'm just wondering about how you balance art and commerce. Like how do you balance the pure design innovation with that sensibility that you need to be, to survive in business, to be like, I always say I'm kind of like hustler. I'm kind of scrappy. Like I think that's a good virtue to have if you're an entrepreneur, but then it sounds like every day you're balancing those two sides of your personality. Yeah. And I think it's especially like poignant right now because you can have the creative dream of making a beautiful feather nightgown, like nightgown (laughs) dress or whatever, but it's also about reading the room. Like people don't have a lot of money to spend right now. People are mostly at home. It is about consumer demand as well. So yeah, I guess we're wondering how you kind of bring that creativity to a more consumer-centric business. 
it's the, the ability to have a business sense and a creative sense. And so my creative is hyper. That's that's really my focus. And it was before I went on my own and realized I need to know about business. But the more I learned about business, the more fun I found it to be. Like, how did we do? How did that ad do? How did the sales go for that? And like, oh my God, we did it. (laughs) We did worked and it made it or what went wrong? How do we fix it? And so it's sort of like um, a game. And the the, the fun part of, of business through COVID is that by Zooming with my teams, all of them every day, we're solving problems and we're making successes together as a team face-to-face in a way that we didn't do as well pre-COVID. We weren't as strategic. We weren't as good because we weren't Zooming. I mean, we had meetings, but it's not the same because every day we meet to review what happened the day before and it's very focused and and milestones driven and uh, and results oriented. So the business part of it can be a lot of fun. And if I know that we have a business goal, then I can think, what can I make that will be a lot of fun and get everybody excited and see how it fits that goal? So. I'm then I'm entrusted with this creative opportunity to come up with something. It could just as well be a wedding gown for somebody, but this is for our project, which makes it even more exciting for me. So Mm -hmm. I think art and commerce really are very comfortably fit together. The designer has a hand in understanding the business when the designer doesn't and somebody else is doing it and they hardly talk to each other and it's sort of this, that's when there's the, the, this kind of hitting a wall, there's disagreements, well, this design is great and you don't understand. And the, well, we got to set, we got to pay the rent. So I do understand it's like that kind of a thing. That's not a good result. That's not going to end up well, but I think designers should take business courses, should learn about how fun business can be so that they become better designers, but it's not the inclination. And I have to be honest, it wouldn't have been mine either, but I had to so that I could stay in business. Otherwise, I would have to work for somebody or have somebody take over my business. And I just... I feared that so much that I figured I better learn this stuff. I better learn how this works. Well, also, I think what's interesting about both of your guys' business is that you have both branded your names. And that's very common in the industry. But I'm wondering what, for both of you, what your pros and cons of that were from like a business standpoint. It's your name. So... It's sort of emotional and business. And that's that's where protecting your name is becomes a big deal. It's a very big deal. And it's another reason why I didn't want to have a partnership for people to have ownership of my name. So I fought very early on to try to avoid that from happening. And and there were times where I really needed the money. I really, really needed the money. I had to say no because I thought that I, I I just wouldn't know how to deal with somebody else owning my name. I wouldn't know how to handle that. Then I'd have to become somebody else and not, you know, I, I just couldn't um, figure out how I was going to move forward from that. What are, what are your thoughts? What do you think of it? I think it's it's hard when it's I did it just because it seemed like that's what you do. You know, Mm -hmm. if you're a designer, you want to put your name on it. And there weren't people doing that was pretty much, you know, the status quo. And so but then as time goes by, you know, it's hard sometimes to distinguish between the brand and the person. And especially with social media and, and putting yourself out there. I don't love being 
the center of attention like that all the time. I, I don't mind being sort of like a little bit the woman behind the brand, but it's just, it's hard to distinguish, you know, where those boundaries are. But I guess if I wasn't doing fashion, I would be happy to kind of join the witness protection program and just become somebody else and like drop out of society. That'd be fine with me. So, you know, if that day comes, somebody can have my name and I'll just become something else, I guess. And I'll be fine with that. Would you, would you encourage young designers to use their name as their brand or not? What do you think? Why not? I spent my entire career behind the scenes. This is the first time, and and you, you probably know that, it's this is the first time that I'm talking more because it's not it's not really about the clothes and it's not real which are me. It's more about the book and aging with power and healthy lifestyle. So in those areas, I feel very comfortable talking. I feel very comfortable meeting with lots of different people and having the conversation because I have a goal. I want people to feel comfortable aging with power. And the way I do that is I tell you my age and I tell you why through my experience, which is different from being a designer who wants to be a celebrity. And that's a very different thing. Being a celebrity has no appeal to me at all. And I agree with you. I would rather be away from any spotlight like that because I feel, I actually feel that a lot of careers end earlier because People get sick of people so easily. The turnover in the fashion industry is huge. And so you become the flavor of the month and then, okay, we've had enough, what's new? And then you're gone and, and then businesses literally go out. And I think part of my longevity, to be honest, is that I just never, ever did anything to make me the focus, ever. Definitely, we're both the slow burn, but really, the, you keep reinventing your work, but in a way that's so true to yourself. And I think that's part of, you know, the magic of how you can stay relevant for as long as you have. But it's not me. It's the clothes. I was in the background. My clothes were in front. My clothes were on other people. I wasn't being photographed. I never go to any of the red carpet things. I never go to the Met. I never go to any of those. I don't I don't belong there. That's not who I am. That's my clothes go, but I don't go. I didn't go to Studio 54. My clothes were there. Everybody swears I was there. I was never there. Um, so I I know my place. I know my comfort zone. And I, I think that longevity and and how much celebrity there is, I think celebrities always feel intuitively too. If they get too much attention, they're gonna they're just not gonna be interesting to people anymore. But now I have a different I, my purpose is different. My purpose is not about my collection or being famous or it's not for me. It's for me, it's my duty to tell everybody what I know. And if you don't want to follow it, don't. But if there's one thing in the book that you could take away, I'm good. I'm good. That was that's great. I'm happy for that. And maybe when you hit 30 and you read 30 and you get something out of it, then I'm even happier. So the book is meant to be around a long time, get all wrinkled and rumpled and be referenced as needed. And that's all I want to happen, that it's there to serve, to be a a source of information and to get people talking about some of these things that we've been used to in our lives that have no place anymore. And, And to really educate everybody about aging and how 
it's not something to fear. And we have to start stop using words like anti-aging and anti-wrinkle and anti-everything that has to do with aging. And, and the desire to be 20 again or to be 30 again, stop it. Like, why? <laughs> no. Well, that's why I think, you know, we have the, this philosophy about being ageless because it's really just your state of mind and the decades kind of are a little bit meaningless uh, other than, you know, what you're, how you're evolving in your own life, but. Age is just a number. (laughs) No, but I think like you saying that you're 75, I think reinforces that it doesn't, it's it doesn't matter. It does matter, but it I'm not really explaining. <laughs> yeah, it's right. It does matter that I'm 75. I'm relevant. I'm not invisible. I can have dreams and look at the future and I work at making that a reality in my life and I'm saying to other people Whatever it is, you can do this. And 20-year-olds need to have how to do that too because you and I both know a lot of young girls who have lost the spirit. The spirit is dead in them and they're old. They're very old. And so the lesson is really a timeless one. It's about a timeless approach to living life and feeling inspired about what's to come, not looking back and wishing for what was. I mean, that's crazy. So aging with power is a very important concept for people to talk about and to start talking about it at 20 and looking at the advantage of what what's going to happen next, how that process works. I love that. I mean, I guess just to to wrap it up a little because you have lived through all of these decades and have really like built your business since you were so young. Can you leave our listeners with one funny story or highlight from your career that sticks out? I was just shown this morning some photos that Bill Cunningham took in 19, I think it was like 70. And it was my first fashion show. And my first fashion show was at this beautiful mansion on 63rd Street, a customer of ours. Her boyfriend was the grandson, great-grandson of these socialites that were very popular in the 40s. And everything was being sold and the house was being sold, and the mansion was being sold and it was empty. And did I want to use it for a fashion show? So I saw it. I was like, yeah, that would be amazing. And there was a big piano in the ballroom. and It was great. So I, at the time, was making clothes out of circus fabric and girdle fabric because it was the only stretch fabric that existed. And I have been of course, attracted to stretch in a long time. And so I found some gold and black shiny circus fabric, stretchy, and it was sort of girdle weight. And I made pedal pushers out of them. And then I made these big ruffled polka dot jackets. And I found these big platform shoes. Now this is, this nobody had seen before. Let me just press And so I did these big pom-pom hairdos and this whole stuff. And so let's say the collection was a little different. Mm -hmm. The week before, we had all gone out to a club where we heard, a dinky club, but that we heard after work that this singer, sort of comedian, was going to be at. And her name was Bette Midler. And so we had a big table and we sat up front and Bette had brown hair and she was wearing vintage that was literally falling apart 
and like one of those little fox things that had no hair left. I mean, it was a shit show. And <laughs> she, so she's singing and making jokes and she sees us. We're all in these outfits. And she said, stop, where did these clothes come from? I need these clothes. So after the show, I met with her and she said, I have no money. I can work in your store during the day to pay for the clothes. Can I do that? And I said, look, I have an idea. I'm having a fashion show. If you narrate the fashion show, because at the time you narrated fashion shows, I said, if you narrate the fashion show, you can have clothes. And so she said, I don't know what to say. I said, Oh, yeah, you do. Anything you want to say will be fine. <laughs> so she's sitting on a piano in an outfit and the these clothes are being paraded in. And the people, the fashion people that are in the audience are horrified. They're horrified <laughs> by the clothes and they're horrified by her. They cannot <laughs> believe what they have just experienced, right? It's just too disgusting for them. And so they all walk out like they at the place empty faster than like you could sneeze. They were out. And so Bill Cunningham, who was a very young photographer at the time, comes over to me and said, dearie, they'll be coming back to you. I promise you this. And I was like, well, thank you. Are you sure? (laughs) So. That's how Bet and I met. And we still, obviously, we started our careers at the same time. And we we really have um, a strong connection with each other. So that's a good story. Amazing. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much. Can you just tell our listeners where they can find you, follow you, and purchase the book? Okay. So the book can be purchased on Amazon. It keeps selling out, thankfully, but if it if it is sold out, you can buy it on my website, normakamali.com. And you can follow me on Instagram at normakamali. And I put up new things, new ideas, new tricks and stuff, even more from that aren't in the book um, on Instagram. So you can take a look there. And thank you very much for giving me a chance to talk about the book. I appreciate it. You are honored. You are a legend. Yes. Hope you guys love this episode. And thanks so much to Ginny Media for our audio production. All right. So I'm so happy that you guys got to listen to our stories today. As always, you can follow us on social media and keep up with our work and our crazy adventures. Then you can follow us on Instagram at Cynthia Rowley and at Kit Keenan. Thanks for listening. Hold up. 